Goligoski had stalled. Long pass to Richards. He's in alone. Behind the defense. He shoots. Saves the And welcome to the Sportscasters. Coming at you for the second time this week with episode number 28. It is June 29th, 2011 here in a very sunny Buffalo, New York. My name is Steve Bennett and my co-host is Don Russ. How are you doing today, Don? Awesome. We have another great show for you this, uh, this week, the second of the week. We have an interview today with Jonah Carey uh, from JonahCarey.com. He has his own own podcast and also just finished writing a New York Times bestseller called The Extra 2%. He's making his second appearance on the show. We also have Greg Wyshynski, the puck daddy himself, here to talk about something that Don and I are very excited about, and that is July 1st, the first day of NHL free agency. And we also have an interview with Sarah Quick uh, from Sports Illustrated and SportsIllustrated.com. I'm playing a little game called How Many Different Ways Wait, Can, can pronounce I Pronounce Sarah's Last is Name? Is it K-W-A-K? Yeah. Quack? Yeah. Quack yeah. is how it's pronounced. Quack? Quack is the correct way, but for some reason I can't say that right every time. I don't know why. Uh, but <laughs> Sarah will join us uh, to talk about uh, some NHL-related topics as well. Um, but we're going to start everything off. Well, you know what? I should take one step back couple things to look for this week. First is episode number 27, which featured an interview with Michael Lombardi and Nate Dunlevy from 18to88.com. Also, Don wrote a blog, and his blog is posted right now at thesportscasters.blogspot.com yep. about some time he spent away from sports, uh, about the trades that the Philadelphia Flyers made, and about his thoughts on what the Sabres should do this weekend. And uh, I'd be glad for you to check those out. And Don and I will both probably be live blogging come noon, uh, July 1st, as we anxiously await what to find out what the Sabres and the rest of the NHL is going to do on the first day of free agency. So please check that out. Yeah, it won't be a productive day at work for me. Also, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash thesportscasters. You can find us on Twitter, the sports ca- or twitter.com slash sports underscore casters. And you can also email us at the sportscasters at gmail.com. One thing we are asking for emails about is your ideas for how Major League Baseball and the National Hockey League should realign. So make sure you check that out. Also, we are still in the middle of the summer, and over the rest of the course of the summer, we'll, we will be doing some things with the Fatty Hockey League. Uh, so please check out that website, fattyhockeyleague.com. And don't forget that we are now on Stitcher, and you can find us there. So I think that's enough of a little bit of an introduction. And let's just get going with three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. All 
My first of three things this week uh, kind of piggybacks on something we discussed last week. I don't remember exactly when, but starting today, the NFL and players are going to agree to four straight days, that's today through Friday, of negotiating. So, again, that's another step in a positive direction. At Ad Brandt, who I'm not sure who that is, but it was on the Twitter feed on ESPN's front page, says that both sides have been warming to mediator Arthur Boylan. So... Really, not a lot of news. It all comes. It all means nothing if they can't come to an agreement. But that's two straight weeks of what seem to be positive talks in the NFL. So, hopefully, they can get something done. You know, I don't understand why these guys aren't locked in a room for twenty-four hours a day, seven days <laughs> a week before they get to get this done. I don't know. What else are they doing? I mean, don't they understand what's at stake here? Right. Like, what are the owners and players doing when they're not negotiating this? Sitting around talking about how cool it would be to negotiate? <laughs> I have no idea. Especially the owners. The players might be practicing, but if you can't get this done, you don't have a season anyway. So what's the difference? Very frustrating. My first thing, congratulations to the U.S. women's soccer team on scoring a victory 2 to nothing in their first World Cup game. It's been difficult uh, since the U.S. won the World Cup, I think, in 1999, uh, when back then it was really just the U.S. and... and uh, Germany, not much competition, but it's gotten a lot stiffer. And host Germany, who is the favorite, even struggled with Canada in their first match, uh, only winning 2-1. to one. So congratulations to the U.S. players. But the win, of course, does come with an asterisk because <laughs> the North Korea women, unfortunately, were struck by lightning. And that's really why they lost. According to their coach, uh, a North Korean by the name of Kim, believe it or not, uh, he says that, this is from the BBC, when we stayed in Pyongyang during training, our players were hit by lightning, and more than five of them were hospitalized. Some stayed in the hospital and then came to Germany later than the rest of us. The goalkeeper and four d- defenders were most affected, and some midfielders as well. The physician said the players were not capable of participating in the tournament. But World Club football is the most important and significant event for a football player. So they didn't want to think about anything but football. The fact that they could be called abnormal, the result of very strong will. Um, First of all, I think we lost a little bit in translation there. (laughs) We may have, yeah. Second of all, what? Yeah, hit by lightning. I mean, that that is going to throw, that's going to mess with momentum. Any momentum they had going into the, the World Cup is <sighs> lost and you get hit by lightning, I think. You know, I know that the, I think what might have happened here is North Korea is the, the scarier of the two Koreas, right? I'm not sure. The communist version. South Korea is the nicer the one. Kim Jong-il one? Right. Uh, right. That's North Korea. So I think maybe there was a little bit of fear um, in, in this loss. And maybe the coach is trying to Save comfort their players the lives. Blow, yeah, at home and... Uh, Blame it on something other than not being as good as the Americans and uh, that being a terrible lightning strike. Crazy, crazy news. Uh, at Judy, or I'm sorry, at Judmoo, J-U-D-M-O-O, uh, is becoming popular on Twitter. She has 10,000 followers as of now, which is... I would sign up for that. Yeah, that's kind of embarrassing. But uh, Judmo is Andy Murray's mother. And she's getting all this attention for, and I quote, Ooh, with nine O's, Deliciano looking good out there, as always. Deliciano 
is Feliciano Lopez, her son Andy Murray's opponent in at Wimbledon. So <laughs> settle down there, Andy Murray's mom. Uh, now British odd makers have taken to offering 10 to 1 odds. I love this part. On Feliciano Lopez blowing Andy Murray's mother a kiss during their match after she nicknamed him Deliciano on Twitter. That's so, good odds. Ten, yeah, I would lay down. 10 bucks, you win 10 100? 10 bucks to win 100. That Imagine watching that match, just like, come on, buddy. Blow her a kiss. Right. Blow her a kiss. <laughs> come on. I wonder if the odds are so good because he's not expected to win, so maybe like... He'll be pissed. He won't be in a playful mood but after he loses. what about the beginning, you know? Yeah, maybe. In the beginning of the match, just comes out, looks up, maybe psych Murray out a little bit. And I guess before... Maybe he do the thing with his finger between the, the first two... <laughs> like a tongue in between the first two fingers. Like, <laughs> maybe he'll do that. What's the odds on that? Uh, they don't say that exactly. 30 to 1 if he makes the eating vagina signal? <laughs> it, 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 I, would, I would probably not put money on that, bet, but... Uh, <laughs> family the, show. He was... Uh, kind of playful with it so i think like her son and him must be kind of friendly and beforehand they were practicing and i guess at one point his son basically yelled hey felly or whatever you would call him for short uh can you take a picture with my mom when we stop to get a drink because she thinks you're beautiful or something like that and then i guess they did stop and when he stopped to get the drink like she was so embarrassed she turned beet red and wouldn't take the picture (laughs) so yeah, Andy Murray's mom is a Twitter sensation for now. So the Golden State Warriors are pretty pumped. You know, they, uh, they feel like they had a great draft the other day. Uh, they selected Clay Thompson, Jeremy Tyler, and Charles Jenkins. So, as most teams do, they decided to introduce their players to the media. And after introducing the players, they offered the room to ask questions, and this is how it went. Well, let me rewind. Uh, Matt, Sti- Matt Steinmetz, Comcast Hold on. Sportsnet. Don, come on, buddy. In camp. We'll take some questions. Here we go. So they're willing to take questions. <laughs> if anyone has a question. Now will be the time. Go ahead and raise your hand. That's good, Raymond. We're done. Hello? <laughs> anyone? Questions? Photographer snapping pictures. Three kids sitting there awkwardly. Clay? Jeremy? Charles? Anyone? Question for any of them? Uh, Matt Stott. Oh. All right, Matt. Thank you. (laughs) So (laughs) So that was 30 seconds of awkward silence before Matt Steinmetz of Comcast Sportsnet Bay Area finally broke the ice and asked a question. This kind of reminds me of being in the seventh grade and the teacher bringing in a guest speaker and then opening up for questions and everyone's just kind of looking (laughs) Looking at at each each other. other. Should I be the first one to ask a question? But come on now. I'm going to embarrass myself by not knowing where Golden State Warriors play. Oakland. Oakland. Okay. You're the Oakland media. Mm -hmm. This is... The Bay Area. The only sport you have going on now other than baseball. Right. This is a big deal. We're all there anyway. Right. You're there. This is a big deal. How are you not ready with questions? Do you just not know who the kids are? I mean, you must have looked it up beforehand. This this wasn't immediately following the draft. It's not like they flew the kids out there the second they were drafted. They had presumably days <laughs> to think of questions to ask these kids. And not, not one for 30 seconds. 
disaster. Yeah, poor just sh- a disastrous, poor disastrous news conference. Step it up, Oakland. I've heard somewhere before. I think it was a teacher that said, "When you ask a question, wait five seconds because it'll feel like an eternity, and someone will ask a question." Well, apparently, the Oakland media doesn't feel the same Play way. Play that one more time from the top. In camp, we'll take some questions. That's good, Raymond. We're done. Matt Stein. Matt Stein. That is awesome. <laughs> you can actually hear, like, watching the video, you can see the guy taking the pictures and hear, like, when he snaps. You can hear the shutter go on the camera. It's so quiet there. <laughs> ah. Yeah. Good job. My last thing. Uh, I beat up the Vancouver hockey fans pretty bad. You did. Last week. But Argentina, Argentinians, I believe. Oh, I saw this. Might have them beat. Soccer fans are known to be hooligans somewhat to begin with. And the historic soccer team, River Plate, which I'm probably saying that wrong. It's probably Plotty or something, but was relegated to the Argentinian, Argentine second division for the first time in its 110-year existence on Sunday. Soccer has these things uh, called demotion playoffs, which is kind of exciting, I guess. And right, teams get relegated. The worst teams, like, it's kind of the ex- an example would be like if uh, – the Pirates finished last in Major League Baseball. Had they would slide them down to AAA. Right. And move the AAA champion up. Right. Which is actually kind of a cool idea. It wouldn't work because of stadiums and whatnot. But whatever. Uh, apparently, this is devastating news to Argentinians. Violence broke out one minute before the match was over. So the match was still going on. But angry fans started pelting players with objects from the stands. And the police had to get high-powered fire hoses uh, to knock... Fans who were climbing over fences topped with razor wire. They were so pissed they would face physical damage to themselves to get onto the field to do God knows what. Um, It says this had to be a great uh, vision. As fans were pounded with jets of water, River Plate's players huddled on the pitch, many in tears, including goaltender Juan Pablo Carrizo. So, yeah. Classy showing of support by the uh, Argentine fans. They needed to at one point, I think I saw it, yeah, Argentinian authorities deployed 2,200 police officers for the soccer match. Not Not enough. Not good. (laughs) (laughs) Not good. I got a pretty good one here for my third thing as well, and this is courtesy of Deadspin, and AJ Delirio from Deadspin is going to be on the show next week, so maybe we can talk to him. About it. And the, the title of the story is Mark Cuban Files the Ultimate Fuck You Legal Brief. So here's the background. Ross Perot Jr. sold the team to Mark Cuban a decade ago, but he kept 5% of the team. So he is kind of a silent partner, um, whole, a stockholder in the team. Ross Perot, the one that Ross ran for Perot president. Ross Jr., yes. Two years ago, he filed a number of lawsuits against Cuban for mismanaging the team and even doing illegal things with the money. One of the complaints was that Cuban was putting too much cash back into the team instead of giving it to Perot and other partners. So, 
This morning, and this is great, Cuban's lawyers filed a brief to their motion to dismiss the suits. And it says, On June 12th, 2011, the world champion Dallas Mavericks defeated the Miami Heat to claim the franchise's first NBA championship. A true and correct photo of one of the many victory celebrations is incorporated herein. Giant photo of Mavericks celebrating with trophy. <laughs> then it goes on. Under Hillwood's ownership, the team was deemed the worst franchise in all of professional sports. Under Cu- Cuban stewardship, the Mavericks have become one of the league's most successful teams and are now NBA champions. Accordingly, there can be no genuine question that Hillwood's claims of mismanagement lack merit and Hillwood's claims should be disposed of on summary judgment. Basically, Cuban is saying here, so if I'm mismanaging the team, how is it that we have won the championship? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, with the lawsuit still, I guess, in the air, he basically said, you know, this is it, buddy. (laughs) Yeah. They actually have on Deadspin, too. uh, You can read, it looks like, all four pages of the original document filed, (laughs) complete with the... Large picture of the team celebrating their victory. Uh, yeah, it's it, pretty awesome. It's funny to see that in a legal document signed by lawyers and filed with stamps and, <laughs> and signatures. Yeah, and very official looking document. Uh, and just a photo of celebration in the middle. Yeah, he might as well have just sent them a middle finger. <laughs> Looks like Dirk's holding the trophy. You can see Stuart Scott in the picture and everything. Champagne, the guys are wet. <laughs> It's awesome. Yeah, Cuban's the best. Baseball needs to get him a team. All right, so that's it for three things here on episode number 28. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back with Jonah Carey. And then after that, we're going to update the book club, and then we'll let you know where we're going to go from there. So we'll be right back with Jonah Carey. Our next guest is from Montreal, Quebec, Canada. He is a 1997 graduate of Concordia University's journalism program. He co-wrote and edited the book, Between the Numbers, Why Everything You Know About the Game is Wrong. He has contributed work for ESPN.com, GQ, The New York Times, and countless other publications. His book, The Extra 2%, focuses on the rise of the Tampa Bay Rays and is a New York Times bestseller. Today, he lives in New Hampshire, where he is a Freelance journalist working on a book about his beloved Montreal Expos and hosting his own podcast. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the great Jonah Carey. How are you doing today, Jonah? I'm good, Steve. How are you? Doing very good. Very excited to talk to you again. You know, last time we talked, I would say it was probably at the tail end or so of your book tour. And uh, I guess the first question for you, now that you're away from that a little bit, is how do you think it went overall? Are you pleased with how it went? And what was your favorite thing that you got to do? Oh, uh, it was good. I mean, it wasn't a traditional book tour. You won't see publishers do that all that much anymore. It's not, first of all, it doesn't make much economic sense to fly people around the country for whatever reason. And especially if you go to a bookstore and there's 20 people there, and that's usually the case, you'll find, I don't know, if Deepak Chakra showed up at a bookstore, I'm sure there'd be more than 20 people. But there aren't too many authors who can who can pull that, and I don't fancy myself as one of them anyway. So 
we didn't do it quite like that. It was more media thing. So I did a lot of interviews with uh, radio, podcast, stuff like that, occasional TV. So Jim Rome and Adam Carolla were two of the bigger ones. I did the Bill Simmons podcast, things like that. And we just feel like you get more bang for the buck that way. I'm sitting at home and I could talk to them by phone and it's totally no problem. In, Corolla, in the Corolla case, I had to come into the studio. But that's no problem. I was already in L.A. and it was fine. So I think more and more you're going to see that model, especially if you are if you have a pretty good uh, Rolodex where you can get onto some decent shows. It's just It seems to be a better way to go. I did a few in-person things here and there, but it was mostly unusual stuff. Like there was a thing right here um, in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, just down the road 15 minutes and it was a local thing, you know, it was maybe 25, 30 people, and just, it, w- it was very low-key. There was a thing in Toronto where we were in a bar, and uh broke off in the study groups and talked about it. It was run by the guys over at um, at thescore.com, Dustin Parks and those guys, they're really good. So it, I think that that kind of model makes more sense, and you go to a Borders and in an anonymous city, and you sit there, and they stick you in the back, and nobody knows who you are, and, and whatever. <laughs> that doesn't really make much sense. Uh, for the uh, for the modern book tour. So do you f- do you notice a, a big difference when you do uh, a highly highly known show like the BS Report or the Jonah Carey show as compared to when you do something on a smaller scale? Well, I mean, I don't get that much traffic. I still do mine as an indie podcast. It's not affiliated with anybody, so. I don't, you know, the Simmons show is one thing. He obviously has a lot of traffic, but, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think of my show as much different than your show. You probably get better guests than I do. Hell, uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, I think that the model can work throughout, right? I mean, it's maybe the bigger podcast will have more listeners and advertising and all that stuff. But other than that, podcast is a podcast. You just do a conversation and, uh, or you could do it by yourself in some cases. I just don't have that skill and then you're fine. So I, I think that the, uh, the model is pretty universal and you're just, if it's an interview format, you're just talking to people, and uh, and it can work out no matter what. After you were on the BS report, did you notice a big spike, like on Amazon, for the extra two percent? Uh, um, there was some spike. The best ways to get a spike, a lot of people listen, obviously. So there's that. But buying habits are strange. It's something that you discover as you go along. People need to have it shoved right in their face, and you can't click on anything when you're listening to a podcast. You might be on, if you live in New York, maybe you're on the subway, or you know, maybe stick in your iPod and you put in your iPhone uh, jack in the car, and you could listen that way if you're driving to work and it's a commute. You don't have the ability to buy something right then. Maybe if you're sitting at your computer at home, you know, with Amazon open in one window and, and the BS report open in another, you could do it that way, but that's not all that common. So, I found that the biggest bumps, and I'm sure a lot of it coincides with the timing too. Obviously, this was right when the book came out. But when you run an excerpt, for example, at a big website or whatever, that's when you're going to get a lot of traction because people will read it. They'll say, wow, this is really good. I like this book. I have sampled this book. And, oh, look, here's a link. All I do is I click it. Oh, my God, it's $15. I can afford $15. Let's go ahead and do that. So that that tends to be the biggest uh, driver. When, When it's something like a big podcast or Rome or whatever, it's some of it is for the book and some of it is obviously a lot of it is for fun it's fun to have conversations and and some of it also is just it's general brand building you know it's Mm -hmm. maybe people aren't going to buy your book just then but a week later they'll be on espn.com they'll say oh jonathan i read heard him somewhere something yeah this article is pretty good didn't he write a book oh okay he did all right you know he seems all right i'm gonna give him a try it's more like that some of it is more subtle and take some time. You kind of have to bombard people with the idea that, you know, maybe you are competent, maybe you can write things that people would want to read. 
So do you find yourself to be pretty all in with the Rays now? Have you, after writing this book and spending so much time on it and promoting it, do you feel yourself kind of drawn to the Rays as a team? Do you find yourself rooting for them, rooting for the players that you interviewed and liked? Yeah, definitely. I'm rooting for the Rays. I found that um, it's the first time I've rooted for a baseball team since the Expos left. I grew up with the Montreal Expos. And uh, I have MLB.TV, so I can watch any game I want. And I'm just, I, I gravitate to the race. It's just, you can't help it. Sports are more compelling when you have a real reason to root for a team. I have, a, you know, fantasy teams and this, that. But it's really not the same. And obviously you don't have 20 Yankees on your fantasy team anyway. So you're never going to have a situation where it's overwhelming that you would watch one team more than the other. So this is really a way to buy into something. And, and you're able to follow the season as you go along, too, because obviously the Rays play other teams. Okay, today's the Yankees, today's the Royals, today's the Astros. You could tune in and, and get that. I do watch other teams, certainly. It's not that I only watch the Rays. But uh, I try to make it something of a nightly ritual. You know, if they're on at 7 o'clock or whatever, I uh, I just uh, head on the treadmill and I uh, pop open the game and I'm kind of watching while I'm uh, running. And it's it's fine. It's just a way to it's, – it's within the rhythms of my daily life at this point. I do consider myself to be a fan and, uh, and I do try that way. It's not – I'm not living and dying with them the same way the Expos – the Expos would lose back in the day, especially if they were competing. There were years when they were actually competitive, believe it or not. Right, like 94. If, if they lost – it was real hard. If the Rays lose, I mean, the Rays played terribly, terribly last night. They made horrible base running mistakes, and a couple of balls went through the wickets, and it was miserable. Whatever. You know, you slough it off, and you move on to the next day. So it's good in the sense that you can appreciate the highs, but the lows aren't so low because you're not you're bought in, but you're not bought in in the same way that you are when it's a team that you really grew up with. One more thing before we move on from, from this topic, and that is being the educated baseball man that you are and, and watching probably close to 60 Tampa Bay Rays games so far this year, give or take uh, 20 there that you may have missed. Uh, I wonder what the pluses and minuses of the Rays seasons have been and if you think they can hang with the Yankees and the Red Sox, sort of how they have in, in this first half here. Well, I think the Yankees, the Red Sox to me are the best team in baseball and the Yankees are at least the second best team in the AL, possibly second best team in, in the league, but certainly the best, second best in the AL. So the Rays still have an uphill battle, even though they're only, uh, what, two and a half. I, I don't, the Red Sox didn't play yesterday, so I guess they might be, what, two and a half out maybe now from the Yankees and the Red Sox. Anyway, it's not a huge deficit, but I just don't think that they have quite as much talent as the other teams. doesn't mean they can't win. It's not always the best team that wins, but more often than not, over 162 games it is. So uh, they would have to make some moves. They have a whole bunch of guys on the farm. They have a guy named Desmond Jennings who's a really good prospect. They can call him up and he can help a little bit, but it might end up that they call him up and then they trade B.J. Upton, which is not necessarily going to hurt the team, but I don't know if it's an upgrade per se. You know, it's more like they'd be moving pieces around in consideration of service time and all that, but are they going to go out and get, you know, Jose Reyes? You know, it'd help. It would definitely help, but I just don't know if they're going to do that. They don't have a track record of doing that, and that's with teams that were better than this team. So I don't necessarily see that happening. But listen, if they win, you know, eighty-eight games, they finish third, and they're competing all the way, and they're playing meaningful games in, uh, on Labor Day, then that's good. I mean, it helps the brand. Uh, maybe it draws a few more fans, although they are struggling with attendance, and uh, and it shapes up well for the future. And to me, coming into the season, my thought was they could be competitive in 2011 and they could make a real run in 2012 when Desmond Jennings settles in and Jeremy Hellickson has another year under his belt and so does Wade Davis and so does uh, so do a few other guys. Maybe Matt Moore comes up from the minor league. So I still point to 2012 as the more likely time frame. But I reject the notion there's been some stuff written, oh, it was a three-year window and that's it. Well, it isn't. I mean, this is a, still a strong club. 
both at the major league and minor league level. And if they're not going to win the division this year, 88 games still counts as being part of the window. It just means they slightly miss because they play in a tough division. And it does set up well for next season. So, yeah, I think they are in pretty good shape. And I come back to this. As long as they're run by the same people that run them, not just Andrew Friedman, but everyone on down the line, stats guys, scouts, everybody, they're going to be in good shape and they're going to have a chance. As good as Evan Longoria and David Price and all those guys are, they're going to come and go. As long as they have the brain trust, that's when I feel confident in this team. And they are two and a half behind the Yankees for first and two behind the Red Sox for the wild card. A couple other things I want to talk about you today. I noticed you were really excited on Twitter that you, for the first time, got to cover the Stanley Cup Finals. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just wanted to know about the experience, how compared to other things that you've done in your career, and what you thought of the series in general. Yeah, I'd never been to a game where I was on assignment before. I've I've watched many Stanley Cup Finals, obviously, but my bailiwick has mostly been baseball over the years, and it's expanded recently by choice. I want to be doing more stuff. And uh, it was fun. I got to go to TD Garden and... uh, Aside from the fact that it was a great game and all this, I, I met up with a whole bunch of people that I know from the industry and the press box, and we chatted, and that was nice. Uh, working from home, it's always good to get a little contact that way. But yeah, it's a great environment. I, I, because I live in the Boston area, or not too far from Boston anyway, I had been to TD Garden last season to cover the NBA Finals with Lakers Celtics, and of course that was amazing. And I grew up a Celtics fan, so uh, there was a little bit extra there, and then them playing the Lakers, which was the big rivalry of my childhood. So yeah. It was good. I really had a good time, and uh, you know, certainly it was an electric environment at TD Garden. It was great, and uh, I hope to do more of that. You know, hopefully, I'll be covering Super Bowls and Final Fours and all that stuff in the future too. I definitely want to uh, have that breath because, uh, as much as baseball is great, there's a couple of things. Number one, they only play six months a year, and number two, you don't want to get well. I don't want to get too caught up in one thing. I like to do different things. I came up as a business writer really more than sports. Now that the business part has mostly gone away. I don't want to say that there's a void, but I also want to try to keep the diversity that I had before. And and if I'm not going to get back to hardcore stock market writing, then getting more into basketball coverage and hockey coverage. And I'm working on some college football stuff right now for magazine. That's a good way to kind of bridge the gap. And and, uh, I do hope to do more of that in the future. Sure. So the big news is, is you are currently working on a book about your beloved Montreal Expos. What can you say about that project so far? Uh, well, I just agreed to the deal last week, so very recent. Um, Same it's publisher? Great. I mean, first of all, the big thing, for, for anybody who's ever written a book or considered writing a book, you probably know that one of the biggest things is who you're working for and who you're writing for. And my editor is the same editor as the guy from The Extra 2%. Well, there were basically two of them with The Extra 2%. This was the uh, person who kind of handled the day-to-day more. His name is Paul Taunton. Uh, used to be with Random House in New York, and now he went over to Random House Canada. He's an American, but he went to McGill, fell in love with Canada, and wanted to get back there. Hmm. And he always, it's funny, he always, certainly I did, but he always had a dream of being an editor on an Expos book. This was a big thing for him. He was an Expos fan, and uh, he was just looking for the right fit. And, of course, we became friendly and then ultimately did the extra 2%. And he kept coming back to me with this idea, saying, maybe I should write a book about the Expos. I said, well, I, I got to, you know, as as in as uncrass a way as I could possibly say it, I need to make some money off of this thing because this and I don't know if this has the saleability to do it. You need to it's weird, but the publisher needed to convince me in a way as opposed to the opposite that this would sell. And we talked about it and we realized, okay, well Canada, there would be a captive audience certainly. But we felt that there would be some appeal in the States too, that if you're a fan of the Seattle Supersonics or the Cleveland Browns or the Hartford Whalers or whatever you would appreciate 
the, the rise and fall of a franchise and what happens when a team leaves. And I do think that there are some universal concepts here. It's a political book because there was a lot of political stuff going on in the province, uh, both that had nothing to do with baseball in terms of the separatist movement for a while, and then ultimately in terms of who is going to fund the new stadium. That's compelling. And there are business elements to it, too. And there are, there are ways to weave in different parts of it. And it's not just going and interviewing Pedro Martinez, which is certainly a lot of fun, too. It is a business book. It is a political book. It's a history book. And that appealed to me. And so when we got to talking about all that, we said, all right, we think this could work. Worked out a deal, and it's great. So I've already uh, reached out to, I don't know, Reigns, uh, Tim Wallach, a whole bunch of people. And, uh, and we're going to, you know, it'll be fun with the interviews. And the good thing is I travel for work anyway a fair bit. So I'm in L.A. next week, for instance. So the Dodgers have four or five people that were either affiliated with the Expos or Rick Monday hit a big home run against them in 81 or whatever. And then the Angels have... You know, Bill Stoneman's one of the biggest pitchers in uh, Expos history, and Mace Sturis played for the Expos, and so did Scott Down. So you can go from city to city, and you have credentials for an Arizona Diamondbacks game, and, oh, there's Joel Youngblood there. There's always some Expos link somewhere. And so I think there will be some digging to find some, oh, this guy lives in Alabama. Maybe i got to get down there. <laughs> but for the most part, it's low-hanging fruit. You find that a lot of these guys are still either in the game or close to the game. And so that's, uh, that's the way I'm going to go about my reporting for the most part. Plus some trips out to Montreal to talk to mayors, former mayors, you know, some CEOs of local businesses and, and get that angle too. And, of course, fans. So uh, it's good. And it'll come out in 2014, so it's a ways away. It's a 10-year anniversary when they left, 20-year anniversary of the 94 strike. And uh, mm. I think it'll be a really compelling read when it comes out. Quite different than the extra 2%. I think that it'll be more visceral. And the biggest change to me will be that, you know, I was not a player in any way in the Rays story, so there was no reason to inject myself into the book. But with the Expos thing, it's a personal thing, too. So I think there will be some eyes in the book, too, which I didn't have in the extra 2%. I don't always do that. In fact, I rarely do that, but my editor is encouraging me to do it. And I think it's, you know, at least somewhat relevant to view it through the eyes of a fan growing up a little bit, too. So th that'll be in the book, and, and hopefully I don't make an ass of myself when I attempt to do that. The Sportscaster is here with the great Jonah Carey. You can find his work on JonahCarey.com. Of course, he uh, has a podcast there that I'm sure you'll enjoy. And also, you can find him on Twitter. He is at Jonah Carey. One last thing for you. So I was talking to a friend about doing this interview today, mm -hmm. and uh, I was telling him a little bit about you and telling him about you know, how you're doing this Expos book. And we got into a conversation about who the best Expo of all time is. And I think he started with Pedro Martinez, and I think I maybe came back with Gary Carter, and we went back and forth with a couple guys that way. And I say, you know, I should really ask Jonah this because he knows a lot better than I do. So hopefully without taking away a chapter of your book or anything like that, maybe we can debate for a second who the best Expo of all time is. Now, I was never a, a huge Expos fan, but I was always a big Braves fan. And yeah. uh, with them being in the same division, I usually watched, uh, you know, at least 10 Expos games a year as a kid. And I always remember uh, Gary Carter just always feeling like the ultimate Expo to me. Um, who do you throw out? Who's, who, when you hear the term greatest Expo of all time, who, who comes to mind? So to me, when you're talking about the greatest player in a franchise history, it's a little tricky because you really have to count only the days that they're with that franchise. You know, Pedro Martinez had a great career with the Red Sox as well, obviously. And Vladimir Guerrero went on to great success with the Angels. So, you know, do you say, well, one of those guys is the best? Or Randy Johnson played one year with the Expos, but he might be the greatest player, you know, to have ever played at some point. Or maybe it's Pete Rose, right? I mean, Pete Rose had well, 4,000 hits and all this, and he played for the Expos briefly. So it's a very... It depends on your criteria. I think that if you just want to restrict yourself to who was the best just playing for that club... 
then I think you can make the case for Gary Carter. He played with the Expos for 10 years. Uh, the trade to the Mets was really, it was a big deal. I mean, it was it was considered a blockbuster for the Mets, but also for the Expos. And they got some pretty good talent back. It wasn't a bad deal, but it was just, it, it was a shakeup. You know, I, I look at the other players in team history, you can't really go with anybody modern because by the time you get to the 90s or so, it's just a situation where teams feel that they can't afford players, and, and that's certainly the Expos feel that way, and so you don't, you don't sign guys to longer-term contracts. You don't extend them. So Pedro left. You know, he only pitched a few years in town. Vlad was there for a little while, longer than some other guys, but still not as long as uh, Carter, not as long as Dawson, not as long as Reigns. So I think it has to be Carter, Dawson, or Reigns. And, uh, you know, I just look at the longevity and the success and I think that Carter probably gets the small edge. To me, my favorite expo of all time is Reigns. And Reigns, to me, deserves to be a Hall of Famer definitely more than Dawson does, who's already in, by the way. And I think you can make the case that Reigns is up there with Carter, too, even though Carter was a catcher. Reigns just did so much, and he stole so many bases, aside from being a good hitter and all that, that uh, it's way up there. So I think you could probably go Carter 1 and Reigns 1A, basically, and, and really not go wrong in, in, uh, if you flip the order either because they're both way up there. And Dawson had a bunch of great years, too. He was there for uh, about 10 years as well and also had a bunch of great seasons. People remember Dawson as this guy who kind of a slow, loping guy, and he hit a bunch of home runs. That was, he had a good arm, and that was about it. That was what he was when he, by the time he got to Wrigley. But he was... More similar to Vlad or even a Clemente type when he was younger. He was a great a gold glove center fielder with terrific range. He stole a whole bunch of bases. It's just that the turf at Olympic Stadium really just robbed him of that. And age, but a lot of it was the turf, robbed him of that ability. And I think you can make that case about Vlad, too, that his legs wore down prematurely as a result of playing in that ballpark, which is unfortunate because they were true five-tool players at the height of their career. Well, Jonah Carey, it sounds like you are going to have the time of your life writing this book, and uh, I almost wish that I could follow you around and document the uh, the glory and the glee that you are going to feel writing this book, because I know, I just think about what I would be like uh, 10 years from now writing a Saints book or something like that, and mm -hmm. it's got to be just the greatest thing, so congratulations on that. Congratulations on the extra 2%. It was a great book, and uh, thanks for being a friend and coming on the podcast again. We really appreciate the time. Thank you. I'll be uh, doing. I'll be attempting to chronicle some of it on Twitter. Anyway, I wasn't doing it quite as much with the Rays book, but if I'm talking to Pedro Martinez one day, I don't know if I'll take a picture of the poor guy, but at least I'll say, "Hey, I just talked to Pedro Martinez." Blah blah blah. So yeah, follow me at Jonah Carey on Twitter, and we'll have some fun with that. Absolutely. And thank you for having me on the show, Steve. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jonah. All right. I want to thank Jonah Carey for making time for us today. We really appreciate that and obviously wish him the best on his Montreal Expos book. And just maybe, just maybe, Donnie, when it is eventually released, it will someday be the book of the month here on the Sportscasters. We've been in kind of in limbo uh, the last couple of weeks with the book club. I don't think that we necessarily did a book for June. Uh, the book of the month in May was The Captain uh, by Ian O'Connor. Ian O'Connor just and his publisher have stopped really emailing with me. So I guess at this point, Ian O'Connor has no intention of coming on to this podcast. <laughs> and it's too bad because I did read the book cover to cover uh, in good faith that I had a commitment from Ian to be on the podcast. We recommended the book many times, but at this point, I will say that I recommend it no more. <laughs> 
Don't read that trash. <laughs> I think its pages should be burnt to a crisp. Burning Bridges again. Oh, that's probably him on the phone. Yeah, Burning Bridges <laughs> with a guy who doesn't want to talk to us. <laughs> right. So let that b- bridge be burned. Uh, and Alex Belth actually had nothing good to say about him either. So, yeah, th- so there. That is true. Ian O'Connor. Kiss our butt. Anyway, we do have a book of the month this month. And we do have a commitment from the author to join us. And I'm really, really excited about it. The book is called The Last Boy, Mickey Mantle, and the End of America's Childhood. And it's by Jane Levy. Uh, Jane is a well-respected journalist. And uh, it's, she's going to make the show a lot better just by her appearance. I think she's going to be on July 12th, which, which means I don't have a lot of time to read the book because I like to have the book read before the guest comes on. But I hit the jackpot, Don. I was talking to Tammy, my girlfriend, about going to buy this book. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, you know what? Maybe I'll see if it's cheaper to get the Kindle version of it. And I looked, and the Kindle version, um, as of right now... <laughs> Uh, might be free. Really? Yeah, and I, yes, it's free right now on Kindle. Don't miss it, because I got it free. The enhanced version with audio and video I got for free on iBook. I checked the next day and it was twenty dollars. Right now I'm looking. The Last Boy Kindle Edition with audio and video is zero dollars. So hopefully by the time you listen to this podcast, it's still free. Uh, it's, and you'll be able to get a free copy of the enhanced version of James Jane Levy's The Last Boy, uh, the book of the month this month here on the Sportscasters. So, and the cool thing about the Kindle is they have desktop versions of the app for PC and Mac. So you don't even need a Kindle to take advantage of this. Um, and they also have apps for the iPhone and the iPad and I believe the Android. Uh, so take advantage while you can. Right now, it's $0 on Amazon.com. You can't ask for much more than that. That's a tough price to be. Yeah, the hardcover is 1106 and the paperback is 1113 The audio CD is thirty four ninety nine. So you can spend some money on this book or you can get the Kindle edition for free. And like I said, I was able to get it for free uh, in the iTunes bookstore, and uh, you can check there. They might have the special again sometime, but as of right now, it's free on Amazon. That's the book of the month, and we should be talking to Jane on about July 12th, maybe the 19th, but somewhere in that range. So that's the update for the book club, and we'll be right back with Greg Wyshynski from Puck Daddy Radio and Puck Daddy Sports Blog on yahoosports.com. We'll be right back. Our next guest is the creator of the Puck Daddy blog on yahoosports.com and is also the host of the Puck Daddy radio show, which I believe is number two right behind uh, the Howard Stern show 
on uh, Sirius XM Radio. Um, <laughs> and he joins us today to talk a little bit about uh, the NHL draft, the NHL's upcoming free agency period, and uh, some talk about realignment. So we'd like to welcome the Puck Daddy himself, Greg Wyshynski, to the program. How are you doing today, Greg? Pretty good, pretty good, pretty good. So, I can't complain. Uh, anytime we get a little Jersey music to intro the Jersey boy, yeah, we had a good thing. We had to go Jersey there. It was the only. It was really the only play. You know, it had to be. It had to be Bruce. So, uh, I ask you, um, as we we talked a little bit after air. Well, maybe before we get to Friday, let's start with the weekend. What were your impressions of the draft? Uh, I found it to be very boring. Um, but but if you if you take that part out and you just concentrate on the teams and what they were trying to accomplish, did you think did you think there were any clear winners or clear losers? Uh, it, it's tough to say. You know, Columbus was a funny team to watch during the draft because you know obviously they make the big move for Jeff Carter. Uh, he gets all bitter at first, and and they have to kind of go and actually head out to where he is in South Jersey to. To make sure that he's doing okay, but he was mostly bitter about the Flyers trading him. But then, you know, they they didn't really have uh, a very high pick in the draft. Um, they also had to deal with uh, cutting ties with um, with uh, Nikita Sotov finally, uh, and you know, kind of making him a de facto bust, I guess you could say, uh, and shipping him to Ottawa. So they had kind of a frustrating draft. Um, I thought Colorado made out pretty well with Landis Kogue and, and with the defenseman that they drafted, and obviously with the uh, the Devils winning the lottery and getting the fourth pick and managing to get Adam Larson out of that thing when Larson at one point was pretty much considered to be the top pick in the draft at one point. Um, I think they did pretty well for themselves as well. Well, I was actually thinking about you um, as the first couple of picks Watch, went please. by. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about you because I had a reason. It wasn't just your face or anything like that. Uh, it was actually that... Uh, you were on the show way back when the Devils, way, well, you were on twice. The, the second time you were on, it was because we had to talk to you about how great the Devils were doing. But the first time you were on, it was while the Devils were in the midst of really struggling and they were the worst team in hockey. And we talked about the positive that could come out of that is that there was this stud defenseman in the draft who was basically, you know, Drew Doughty the second. And, um, you know, that if the Devils picked first, you know, he would be the guy. And as the draft came and the Oilers made their pick, everyone was saying that they were going to take uh, the hyphenated player. And I, I just kept saying, <laughs> well, why? Why wouldn't they take this defenseman? And then the same with two and three. And then I thought, gosh darn it, Wyshynski's and the Devils are going to get this kid. Well, it's so just, how it pumped just kind of felt that way. I mean, like, Nugent Hopkins is, is, a, is a great playmaking center. And, you know, they... They need that up there. Um, a good young guy. They're 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 stacked on the wings. They need a good young playmaking center. Um, you could make the argument they could also use a big stud defenseman too. Right. But that's what they wanted. And, and and people say that that you know even though he's not on the level of Sid or Stamkos or those guys, he could still be a very special player. Colorado uh, needed something up front. I mean they they the Chris Stewart trade really pissed off a lot of fans, and and so they went for the power forward, and then. With Florida, I mean, they just need anything that they can market, and uh, and an, an offensive player like Hubido was is is a pretty good spot. So it, the way that the lottery fell and the teams fell in the in the standings really sort of benefited the Devils and, and allowed them to to have Larson fall to them. And again, like I, I you know, who the hell knows? I, as a Devil fan, I'm, I'm very skeptical of the draft, and and <laughs> there have been times when they've made out really really well, like Parise and Niedermeyer, 
and then there have been other times when the guys they pick rather high don't pan out at all. So I'm I'm not banking on Larson being the second coming of Lidstrom or anything like that, but uh, but it's time for them to get younger and cheaper on the blue line, and uh, and I'm happy they did. Do you think Larson plays a part in the team next year? I don't know. I, I heard from some people at the draft that maybe he was going to go back to Europe, um, but uh, you know, it's it's one of those situations with the Devils where they've kind of had this kid now that they can you know wait for if they choose to, but the team is clearly built to win ASAP. So I, I really don't know which way they'll go with him. But uh, but again, I, I, it's clearly the the best defenseman that they've added in the, in the draft since Niedermeyer, and um, if he has that level of impact, then I don't think anybody's going to be uh, having a problem with it. One other thing I noticed before we move on from the draft is that the CHL really did dominate the draft. I know there's been times where uh, maybe the Pat Kane, Van Riemsdyk draft, or it seemed like college hockey and the U.S. development team were maybe uh, making some inroads there, but this year was kind of a reminder that if you're an elite player, uh, the Canadian Hockey League still is kind of the way to go, huh? No, not necessarily. Uh, the, the numbers for the USHL were very strong. I mean, they had a very, very large number of guys picked. The elite guys, I'll agree with you, you know, clearly didn't come from, from the American system, at least this year. It, it kind of vacillates back and forth. But there's a lot, I mean, there was a lot of reasons for um, the NCAA and, and for, for USA Hockey to be really happy with the draft. I mean, you had a a guy from Texas taken in the first, you know, it's, right. there's a lot of really good positive things that came out of it. So um, that battle will still continue. And, and again, the bottom line for, for youth development when it comes to professional hockey is still a case where um, most of the elite athletes in Canada are playing hockey and most of the elite athletes in the United States aren't. So um, the challenge for USA Hockey is getting more of our better athletes on skates earlier um, so that we don't lose them to football or baseball or, or lacrosse. And, uh, and I think that, I mean, that's, that's always been the thing for me. I mean, this notion of, of Canada, some, you know, like there's something in the water up there where they're <laughs> all really great players. No, it's just that our best athletes don't play hockey is the thing. LeBron would be an interesting hockey player. Uh, he'd be a terrible hockey player. <laughs> because he'd be a little awkward a, out there. He'd be a pirouetting little, little nothing, and, and then he'd go cry in the corner when somebody <laughs> steps to him. That's funny. All right, so free agency starts this weekend, and another blow to the free agency crop as Brooks Like seems to have re-signed a six-year deal with the Capitals. Yesterday, Biaxa signed with Vancouver. This really is going to be Brad Richards' Friday um, on Friday, right? I mean, this guy is going to take down a huge, huge contract from somebody. And I think he will. He will. Again, the interesting thing about Richards is, is what he's looking to get out of this thing. Like, he's made noise about not wanting to play in a, in a media-intense market, but that's where the money is. Um, so if he chooses to go play in, like, a Tampa Bay or something like that again, he's going to have to take less money. If it's about the money, and, and the New York Post reported he's looking for, you know, eight years, $51 million, something like something like that, uh, then, you know, he's going to have to go play in Toronto or he's going to have to play in Manhattan. So... It'll be interesting to see what kind of market he chooses. It'll also be interesting to see if um, there are some dark horse teams that are in this derby that aren't being really discussed. I mean, Buffalo is, is a team that has shown already this summer that they're willing to pony up some dough for elite players. Um, you have Chicago clearing salary. You have Philadelphia clearing salary. You've got other teams that are of an elite status, of a, of a, of an, of a Stanley Cup ilk, that are going to maybe be able to make a run at this guy 
and uh, and then that, then that might jack up his his asking price something astronomical. Let's talk about Buffalo for a second because I was going to suggest them as a team that certainly seems to have money to spend, and if he doesn't want an intense media market, well, we're we're not. I mean, we're not New York in the sense of there isn't. 10 million people here, but it is somewhat of an intense market for hockey players. I know some people, some of the players do complain that sometimes the pressure is a little little much here. Some people just can't handle all the girls on Chippewa trying to get pregnant. <laughs> um, but uh, what do you think about Richard's chances in Buffalo? And if Buffalo is going to sign a center, no matter what, and Richard's isn't the guy, where else can they look? I like his. I like that fit for them. I, I do. Um, you know, you get scared by the years a little bit, but if you think about the setup of their team and, and what their needs are, I mean, bringing him on as as a top line center would be fantastic. I mean, you know, the, the just especially from a special teams perspective, I, I just think it's it's a very good fit. Um, and especially if the if the owner wants to pay the dough, which he clearly Says has he an indication that he wants to. Uh, and then obviously, you know, he, he would he would clearly be able to uh, replace Tim Connolly pretty well, I think, as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, after that, you know, it ain't a whole hell of a lot, man. <laughs> That's the thing. It's it's one of these situations where there are clearly some very very high profile restricted free agents and Stamkos and Brandon Dubinsky and and players like that. But after you get past uh, uh, Richards and even after you get past Connolly, then you're looking at a Jason Arnett, a Michael Hanzus. Uh, you know that kind of player, so it's it's uh, it's not really the best free agent market for centers this year. My next question was going to be offer sheets. Do you think we'll see offer sheets this year? I don't know. You know, the offer sheet situation is always a little weird to figure out because at the end of the day, these guys have sort of a gentlemanly agreement to not do it. These general managers and the ones that do go out and try to. Uh, proffer an offer sheet to to players, they put themselves at risk to, to then have their own players rated. I mean, it's it's the one thing that Dean Dean Lombardi from the Kings has been very candid about, which is that look, if you're coming after Drew Doughty or someone like that, um, keep in mind that I've got an owner an ownership situation here that will spend money, and uh, and we'll go after your guys. So back off. And he's been kind of you know kind of Clint Eastwood about that. So. It's kind of hard to figure out whether these guys will break ranks and, and, and send, you know, give out an offer sheet. I, I do think if Stamkos makes it to July 1, he'll get one, and, uh, and that'll set the price for the Lightning, but I don't think that there's any chance they won't match it. Yeah, it, it, it just seems like uh, a no-brainer for Steve Eisenman just to match anything that comes in, so it almost does seem a little bit senseless. Well, it's not a, it's not even being a no-brainer. It's just it's a vital business decision. I mean, the guys on the cover of NHL 12 wearing a Tampa Bay uniform, right. they're re- renovating their entire arena. Um, you know, from the moment he entered the league to now, he's been the centerpiece of their marketing. I mean, it's this to lose him um, would be devastating to that franchise, and and it's it's rebounding from some terrible times. So it's. They've been, they've they've been on the record about saying they're going to match it. I believe that's the case. And the other thing that people don't talk about is that Eiserman does anticipate um, their payroll increasing based on what the the owner has told them. So this entire notion that's com- mostly coming out of Philadelphia that the uh, Lightning are are a financially devastated franchise that won't be able to afford Steven Stamkos. Uh, okay, well they just went and signed Eric Brewer for four years. So <laughs> if, it, right. if if you're telling me that they're 
they're choosing Eric Brewer over Steven Stamkos, uh, then you just you really need to get your head examined. <laughs> Yarmer Yager, is he back in the league next year? And if so, it seems like maybe the Penguins are the team? Uh, either the Penguins or the Red Wings, so it would seem. Um, it's, it's one of these situations where he's clearly committed to coming back to the NHL. I don't, I don't think that anyone gets the vibe that... Um, that he is using the NHL to pump up his, his KHL price. So um, it's going to be interesting uh, to, to see where he ends up. I'm, I'm not quite sure where. Do you think he has much left at 39? Can he make uh, an impact? I, I, think he, I, I don't know if he does in the sense that I don't know how he handles the grind. Um, it's a longer season than in the KHL. It's more arduous, and there are going to be guys in this league that are going to want to absolutely take off his head um, in the regular season. And we saw what happened in the Olympics when he, hit, when he took that check from Ovechkin. He was completely off his game after that. So I'm a little worried about him physically. I'm a little, little worried about him in that grind. But from a, from a skills perspective, he's still got it. I mean, he, I talked to Dan Bilesman at the draft, and you can just, you can just see in his eyes that the notion of putting Yager as a sort of a backdoor option on the power play with Malkin and Sid and, and everybody else is, is just a, a dazzling thing for that team that struggled that struggled so mightily on the power play in recent history. So um, he still has a lot to offer offensively. I just wonder whether or not he's going to be able to hold up physically. If I want a defenseman, I should go in Andre Markov this weekend, right? Markov's done. Mar- Markov's back with Montreal. Oh, he re-signed today. I missed yeah, he, that, he re-signed huh? for a pretty, uh, a pretty decent payday. I think it matched his, uh, his salary from, from the previous uh, season as far as the cap hit goes. But yeah, he, the the duration of the contract was sort of the, the surprise in the sense that um, I think it meant it, we were thinking maybe two and it went three or three and it went four or something like that. But he's off the market, and obviously Lidstrom's off the market. And um, you're looking at a lot of veteran guys and uh, older and, players, right? Like the Hammerlicks and Salos and McCabe. Yep, Sa- yep. Salos an interesting one. Um, you know, with BX resigning, I think the common wisdom is that they'll also resign Airhoff, and there's a very good chance that maybe Sallow is, is uh, somewhere else next year. But Sallow, Caberlet, obviously, um, Jovanowski. You know, is available. Ian White. I mean, you know, you got some players there, but, uh, but uh, the Caberlet one should be interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of interested to see where he ends up. Uh, you know, Boston will probably give him a, a deal that's lower the market value, and then it's up to him whether he wants to go test the waters. But he could really be an interesting option for a team like, like Detroit, for example, that's going to want to replace Rafalski. Um, they need a puck-moving guy. If he can be the right price point for them, I think he'd be an interesting fit there. So today is Hall of Fame Day, and Eddie Balfour has a, million, a billion dollars for you if you let him in. <laughs> uh, if not, who, out, who gets in today? And then I want to debate a player with you because I don't understand why he's not in. But let's start with who you think will be in today. I think Gilmore and Neuendijk get in. Um, Gilmore from... Everything I've heard was close last year, and it was sort of a surprise that he didn't get in uh, and only Cicerelli got in. I just think from a stats perspective, they, they're, they're both right there. Um, they both obviously have a championship. They both have a lot of accolades. Um, they were complete players. And in the case of Neuendijk, um, maybe some of his offensive numbers aren't on an elite level, but he has the prestige factor. He has m- multiple cups. Yep. He has a con smythe. He's... Uh, He's and and he's a well liked guy, so I, I think that also factors into it too for for a guy like Newendike. So I think those are the two guys that get in. So I want to know why the hell isn't Pavel Bure in this thing? 
The guy I played. Like, I, I couldn't tell you, man. Like, I, I, the only thing, the only knock on Burry that you hear from some people is that he was a one-dimensional player, and uh, and that he never won anything. So I think in in those two cases, that's the knock. Well, I mean, it is the Hockey Hall of Fame, and he did win internationally a little bit. Uh, you know, and so that's got to count for something. Uh, and also, I mean, he's got 437 goals in an era where no one was scoring goals. He's won two Rocket Richard trophies. He's won the Rookie of the Year. He has 437 goals, 779 NHL points. He had his lowest total, I think, when he played more than 50 games was 23 goals. It just it just doesn't make any sense to me. That well, you're, you're preaching to the choir. I think he should be in. I mean, I, I think uh, from an intangible standpoint as far as what he meant to the game and, and where he places in his generation of goal scorers and and mostly what his name evokes. I mean, to me, my argument against guys like Dino Cicerelli is that no one can say the name Dino Cicerelli and, and be in awe of it or, or, or want to go find his plaque in the Hall of Fame and, and take a picture next to it because he meant that much, much to you as a player. Nobody cared about Cicerelli that way. But Burray, people cared about. For a generation of fans, Burray was the most exciting player in the league. And, uh, and there's something about that. I mean, at the end of the day, for all the stats and the, and the, uh, the, the awards and trophies and all that other stuff, it's a Hall of Fame. And, and you have to have a modicum of fame to be in this Hall of Fame, right. in my eyes. And, and, and while he doesn't have the stats of a Gretzky or a Mario or, or Gordie Howe or, or Rocket Richard or these guys, I mean, he was a player that a generation of fans consider to be amongst the immortals, and I think that he should be rewarded as such. Yeah, and if he didn't have, I mean, you have to, I think, take account injury at some point, and if he didn't have the injuries he had, or maybe if he had the injuries that he had a few years later, um, he would have uh, added to those stats. And it, it just frustrates me. I, I'm one of the people who cared about Bray, you know, for 10 years, and the reason I love hockey as much as I do is, is probably because of him and I remember as a kid uh, going when the Sabres still played at the odd the the v- visiting team basically walked right through the through the hallway to get to the locker room and I would always race down just to get a glimpse of him because he just was that cool there and, you go. Uh, yeah he should be in the Hall of Fame I think it's it's baloney and uh, you're lucky you don't feel the other way right or we would have been fighting for sure <laughs> <laughs> so Friday Big day for the NHL, not a big day. I mean, overall, no, just in general day. speaking. Totally overblown. Overblown. Totally overblown. Yeah. It's going to have some action and some interesting faces going to different places. But, I mean, the, the number of, of, uh, of players that, are, that, have gone, that will go unrestricted is, is large, but there's not a whole lot of sexy star power there. So there will be some surprises. Um, but, uh, but overall, it's, I mean, it's, it's always a dud. It's always a bunch of old white guys on TSN staring at each other and looking at their Blackberries. The Sportscasters here with Greg Wyshynski from Puck Daddy Radio, Puck Daddy blog on Yahoo Sports. You can find him on Twitter as at Wyshynski. Last question before we get you out of here. The NHL is going to have to do some realignment. Um, I heard a rumor that they want to go to two 15-team conferences with two divisions, one with eight and one with seven. How do you think realignment will sort out? Because obviously Winnipeg is not going to stay in the Southeast Division for very long. Well, there's a chance they might they might just get rid of conferences and just go with four divisions, <clears throat> two with uh, two with eight teams and two with seven teams. And I mean, one of the proposals I think is to just reseed everybody after the uh, after the first round. The first round would be divisional play, which is awesome to get back to divisional play. 
Um, and then in the second round, in the second round, they would just reseed everybody in the league. I mean, that's, that's at least one of the proposals that I saw. Hmm, is to try to line this thing up time zone wise, and I think the ma- the major engine for that obviously is Detroit and Columbus and the NHL's inability to play favorites. So once Winnipeg leaves the Southeast, that's going to leave you with 14 teams in a quote unquote Eastern Conference. So then Detroit would be 15, and then Columbus would be 16. So you get two divisions of eight teams in the East time zone, and then the rest of the league in uh, two divisions of seven teams. And that's probably how it's going to go. I mean, every every indication is is that this was a plan that um, had the backing of Batman at the Board of Governors meeting, and, and it looks like that's where we're going to go. It will be interesting to see how it uh, see how it sorts out, and I'm kind of looking forward to changing it up a little bit. And uh, but I'm also looking forward to seeing Winnipeg two times here at the HSBC Arena before they they head to the other conference or <laughs> however it's going to work out. But all right, Greg, thanks for your time today. We really appreciate it. Again, you can find uh, Greg at his Puck Daddy blog on yahoo.com or on the score, Sirius XM. What are the channels now? I know they just reshuffled uh, everything. Uh, 158, Sirius 158. Sirius 158, the number two show right behind Stern. I just checked the ratings. Very close, yep. we're, and we're gaining, gaining yep. fast. Yep, so give them a listen, and uh, thanks for your time. really appreciate it. No problem, thanks. Thanks, buddy. But thanks, man. Take care. Our next guest is the first woman to be on the podcast. She currently lives in New York City and is a graduate of Duke University. At Duke, she worked at The Chronicle, Duke's independent daily newspaper. And after college, she was hired by Sports Illustrated as a reporter. Currently, she covers the National Hockey League for SI and SI.com. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Sarah Kwok. How are you doing today, Sarah? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Did I get the last name right there? Uh, close enough, yeah. Close enough, okay. So <laughs> you are, you're certainly a trailblazer and a trendsetter here at the Sportscasters. You just narrowly are edging out Jane Levy as the first female on the show. I think we have Jane on July 12th. So you're just beating her out as the first, uh, first lady. Well, actually, I should say my mom was on the show. We called her and wished her a happy <laughs> Mother's Day, but that was just really brief. So, and she doesn't know anything about sports. So anyway. Well, hopefully I set the bar pretty high. <laughs> So, or low. <laughs> hockey season is over, but not over, as we know. Uh, the Bruins have won the Cup, and the awards have been given out. But last weekend was the draft, and I guess the first question I have for you is, did you think that there were any losers or winners, clearly, in the draft this weekend? Well, I mean, in terms of just drafting, uh, it was a really deep class. Um, no huge superstars, no Sidney Crosby's, no Hawks Ovechkin's, Steven Stamkos type, but um, it seemed like, you know, you could go pretty deep and and make an impact. I mean, losers, I don't think that, I mean, that will only show out over time who will be losers. I think everybody, draft day is a really exciting day for most people. Um, But in terms of the trades and stuff, I actually think that the majority of the trades that that all the teams made made sense both sides, which you know, sometimes you don't see that so often. But whether it was somebody needing to dump salary or somebody looking to pick up salary or make their team better, I think that um, all around, I was actually quite 
uh, struck by how everything seemed to work out pretty well for her, for everyone. You think the Flyers will will do all right after trading Richards and Carter, basically for Brzezgalov and future endeavors? Yeah, you know, I, I actually liked what the, the Flyers did. Um, they were so deep down the middle. Uh, you know, they didn't have a first-line, second-line, third-line center. They had 1A, 1B, and 1C, and they had a first-line center playing the wing for most of the year. So they obviously had a lot. They were very blessed down the middle, and so I think that they had assets that they could give up. Now, you know, getting rid of those two, you know, who are supposed to be their franchise centers, you know, that's got to be tough for the team and the organization as a whole. But uh, I don't know, over the last couple of days with the way some, <laughs> with the way at least Jeff Carter had been acting for a while, I could kind of see why <laughs> right. they might want to not have that kind of a, personality in their room. But, but I, I don't think that, I don't know if that had much to do with it. But as an outsider looking in, that struck me particularly. I thought that one of the big winners this weekend at the draft was the Canadian Hockey League. It felt like, you know, over the last couple of years that the NCAA and mm-hmm. um, that the NCAA and also that the uh, National Development Team program had been making some inroads in the in the top picks. But it seems like this year. Uh, the Canadian Hockey League kind of reestablished their dominance. You know who also were winners were the Swedes. Oh yes, lots of Swedes. Four guys go out in the first in the top ten for the first time. Uh, they were big winners too. But yeah, I mean, talking to to GMs and and stuff over the weekend, uh, it, it's cyclical. You know? Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. You know, every every so often you get you know big uh, a big surge in American hockey. You know, but I mean, the Canadian, the CHL, and the OHL are just always so dominant. They're always going to be there. I think when you have down years and maybe other leagues that um, that that kind of just makes you think that you know the CHL is making uh, a resurgence. But I just think that it was a down year all around. Um, I think the, from what I've heard, you know, the U.S. Uh, national development team and the NCAA, they, they've got people in the pipelines coming up that will be a little bit more high profile in the coming years. So I wouldn't necessarily assume that, you know, American hockey is just going down in the dumps. I think that it's still there and they'll make some inroads in the next couple of years, I'm sure. So it seems like the free agency, some of the luster is going to be lost with a lot of these re-signings. Uh, Brooks Lyke re-signed, um, Bieksa has re-signed, I heard that Markov has re-signed, but Brad Richards is still there. If I gave you $1,000 to go spend in Las Vegas, but the only thing you could do with it is bet who Brad Richards would sign with, what team would you put that $1,000 on? I mean, the pretty obvious choice would be the New York Rangers uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, not least of which is that they have money to spend on on him, and you know him being the only like really big name out in the market, um, really high end talent on the the market. He's 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 gonna have enough suitors and enough money thrown at him that it, it'll be up to you know wherever he wants to go. You know he's he's said that he's not a huge uh, fan of playing in like a big um, mar- hockey market. Right. 
Um, you know, so the, the idea that he'd want to go to Toronto, you know, would be a little bit iffy. But, um, you know, the great thing about New York is that as large a market as it is and as much attention as you get, you know, you go out on the street and nobody cares. That's <laughs> true. That is very true. I mean, it's, it's, it's a great, it's a, it's a fantastic city. I've lived here for four years. But, you know, you see, uh, unless you're Derek Jeter or A-Rod, um, I don't think that anybody would ever really bother you or maybe like, you know, Eli Manning, but maybe Eli Manning. <laughs> what about a dark um, horse? Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, what about a dark horse? Like, if, the, if it's not the Rangers, uh, who do seem to make the most sense for a lot of reasons, uh, is there a dark horse that you think could, could snipe in and maybe with the right deal kind of steal him from New York? You know, the the dark horse from conversations that I was having over at, uh, out at the draft, the dark horse, I think, is the Buffalo uh, Sabres, to be honest with you. Um, they don't have the uh, financial mandate that they used to have, mm-hmm. and they're looking to get better in a, in a hurry. Um, they'd have to, I think, shed a little bit of winger space. Winger money? They have yeah, a lot of they, money they tied up to, in wingers, yeah. But that's the great thing about this market is that it's so thin, um, there are probably going to be a lot of buyers out there, uh, a lot of people looking for wingers as well, uh, good, talented wingers and to play with, you know, centers that they might already have. So the dark horse could be the, the Buffalo Sabres. Now, would I put $1,000 on it? No, n- not at all, especially not if it's my own money. <laughs> if it's your money, I might put it on the Sabres. Because there could be some Definitely. good... Right. <laughs> well... How you spend my thousand dollars? I mean, there's limitless limitless possibilities. But uh, <laughs> another thing, and maybe if we get away from free agency for a second, because you know it's going to be a strange year. There's just not a lot out there. It's you know, and if you're a Sabres fan, it's got to be frustrating, as you said, just because they finally do have money to spend. It's finally not 2007 where they have to watch Chris Jury and Daniel Briere walk out the door for nothing, right. and there isn't maybe the players there to. Uh, to spend, so that could be a year away. But another thing that's maybe a year away, but really is interesting to me, is, is realignment. And I just wonder if maybe you were in charge of realignment. What would your plan be? Yeah, you know, I I, I haven't given it too too much thought. I know a lot of the sports writers love uh, thinking about this, and sports fans are excited. But uh, I mean, the uh, the pretty obvious things first of all is to get teams that actually play in the Eastern Conference or that's playing the Eastern time zone to be in the Eastern Conference. Um, for Detroit and Columbus, we have to go and play out in the West Coast, you know, all the time and do, deal with that three-hour time change. You know, every time, almost every time that they, or any time change, every time that they go out um, on the road seems kind of um, ridiculous. So I think that I would bring Detroit and uh, Columbus to the East Um I think that what we're going to see is, you know, a, a little bit of lopsided um, conferences. I don't know if you can spend, Right, like spend, a 16-14 um, kind of a thing? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Winnipeg will go to the West, obviously. Right. But you might have, like, a, you know, a one-team, uh, you know, imbalance there. Uh, how, that, how they would play that out, I'm not really sure. But, I mean, baseball doesn't have, you know, set numbers in each division and things like that. So there would be a way to do it, and it might be a little dramatic, but I would bring those two teams over to the East. Um, 
you know, everybody, I think Nashville being added to the south southeast makes the most sense geographically. Um, and whether that means, you know, kind of changing the whole uh, idea and making it more of a, almost a, a uh, you know, I'm not really sure. <laughs> it seems <laughs> well, like I think, it's kind I think of a, a weird it. puzzle. I think you're onto it in the sense that if three teams come over, if you bring over Nashville, uh, Detroit, and Columbus, and then you only send back Winnipeg, that would set up a 16 teams in the East and 14 teams in the West. And what they could maybe even do then is they could just have, instead of having conferences, just have the divisions, have the first round of division right. play, and then reseed everyone for, from, that, from then on. So that, that could be the way they do it. But I know that's something maybe a little bit away they're going to discuss in December at the, uh, at the Board of Governors meetings in December. So it's just, an, it's, it is, as you said, it's a fun thing to talk about. Um, it's interesting to see all of the different plans and different ideas and what they will go with. W- another question for you is, I wonder what Vancouver is going to do it, it, with their goaltending situation. Do you think that they trade one of their goalies? I mean, obviously, Luongo will be harder to trade than um, Corey Schneider would be, but do you think they hold on to both goalies? Do you think they can bring Luongo back after the tumultuous spring that he had? They will keep pumping Roberto Luongo's tires until they get <laughs> an offer for him, which they never will. So I think that they, uh, they're they kind of... I. He's he's a good goaltender. He really is. Uh, it's I think personally, I think that um, it's as much a mental thing with him um, as anything. And how they rectify that, I mean, that's that's up to the, to the guy. Uh, there's nothing like a team can really do. I mean, they have Corey Schneider for another year for under a million dollars, which is great because he can take a lot of that workload off of him and he can relieve him. Um, I don't think that they, you know, maybe. They trade them if they can get some assets, but you know they're as the assets that they have, their lineup as it stands is is pretty good. Um, all things considered, they're not. I don't see any gaping holes in their lineup. Um, I mean, obviously, if Christian Ehrhoff goes to free agency and and is is gone from the team, that's you know something they would need uh, a little bit more um, on the back end, but. I don't see Corey Schneider uh, necessarily bringing in top six defensemen, or top four defensemen, rather. Um, so I think that they keep the goaltending situation as it stands, um, and they just keep putting their faith in Roberto Luongo until he, until he uh, either continues to, <laughs> to blow it or disappoint not. them or, <laughs> or until they get an offer for him, really. The sportscasters are here with uh, Sarah... I'm going to blow this, but I'm going to try really hard. Quack. Quack, yeah. Yep, from Sports Illustrated and SportsIllustrated.com. You can follow her on Twitter. She is at SI underscore uh, her name, Sarah with an H, K-W-A-K. You can find her work on SI.com. Just one more thing before I let you go here. We really appreciate the time. Um, How do you think the NHL's discipline is going to change as as we kind of transfer power from... Colin Campbell to Brendan Shanahan. Yeah, you know that's that's going to be really interesting and really tough uh, to gauge um, without any kind of thought behind it or without any um, examples. But I mean, I think Brendan understands the idea that people just want an explanation 
Um, he's a little bit more new world and and trying to get the communication between you know um, the league offices and the fans and stuff out there a little bit more. Now, does that mean he's gonna you know avoid being vilified by by the team that gets the raw end of the deal? No, uh, he's still going to have to deal with that. Um, I think that you're going to see a lot more, a lot stronger suspensions because we have now turned a new page. Any precedent um, that people can look back to, they can easily say, well, that wasn't me. That wasn't my call. You know, this wasn't, that was under the old, you know, kind of. Right. Hide behind the old regime, so to speak. (laughs) Right, so to speak. I mean, it's all sort of part of the same, part and parcel of the same, but, um, you know, there is precedent now at this at this exact juncture doesn't really mean very much to them. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in the first few cases that they see, because then all of a sudden, then you, you can get like a, a gauge, a, a gauge the temperature of where they want to go and what they want to do. Um, I think that you're probably, yeah, like I said, you're probably going to see a lot stronger supplementary supplemental discipline coming down because player safety is a huge, huge hot topic. And when you see Sidney Crosby, who's on a ridiculous tear through the first, you know, uh, couple months of the season, go down with a concussion, a severe concussion that takes him out for the rest of the year, this is the face of your league. You know, that's that's a problem. Mm -hmm. You know, that's when you know that it's a problem that, that, um, that the teams and the teams definitely don't want to see their players go down because uh, that's $8.7 million just sitting in the press box, right? And it's that's not what they want. Um, and I think that fans are going to have to try and understand that, you know, as much as you love to see those huge, devastating hits, they're going to be a little bit fewer and far between coming, uh, like, in the future. Yeah. And uh, that doesn't mean that there, it's not going to be a physical game, and that doesn't mean that there isn't going to be, you know, fighting and good stuff to watch. But some of those careless uh, hits that, you know, you, you just have to sit there and be like, what were you thinking doing <laughs> that? Those are going to be taken out, I think. Those have to be taken out. If this league wants to maintain any sort of credibility as a as anything other than like a, you know, as like a, an athletic, you know, league, uh, that shows about sports and not about, you know, fighting and, and being macho. They need to take that out of the game. Thanks, Sarah. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. Thank you. Sportscasters back here, episode 28, the second episode of the week for one last segment. Before we get going, I want to thank our guests today, Jonah Carey, Sarah Kwok, and Greg Wyshynski. All very great guests. Thanks for taking out the time to be a part of the Sportscasters. Also want to thank our other guests this week on episode number 28, which you can find, 27, which you can find on the website as well, www.sports-casters.com. And that was Mike Lombardi and Nate Dunlevy from 18to88.com. A couple other things before we go. On episode number 27, Don and I gave our plans to realign Major League Baseball and the National Hockey League. If you have your own ideas, 
please give us an email, thesportscasters at gmail.com. We'd love to be able to share some other ideas with our listeners from our listeners. Uh, so please, if you get the chance, do uh, send that out to us. Also, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash thesportscasters. You can find us on Twitter. We are at sports underscore casters or at Don Like Sports or at Diversity 23. And you can also find us blogging. Don wrote a, a brand new blog today, which is up at thesportscasters.blogspot.com. And I've recently done a live blog watching the NHL Awards show and the NBA draft. Those are both there. You can check those out. And Friday, come noon, with the start of NHL free agency, Don and I should be doing some blogging uh, as well, as we are very much looking forward to the day. Hopefully, it won't turn out to be a big, giant disappointment. Okay, last piece of business for today. Instead of doing a second pick four for the week, we're going to do a bonus pick four, which is going to be the July 1st edition. It is four different things that will happen most likely on or around July 1st and how Don and I feel they will play out. If we get them right, it's a bonus point. If we get them wrong, it does not hurt us. We deserve a few bonus points <laughs> because of all the losses we've taken we're being bold. Yeah, we, we are bold. So this should balance out some of the boldness. And the first thing that I will ask you, Don, is who will sign Brad Richards? I, in the spirit of being bold, and uh, I did a little research on it. I'm going to say a team that I haven't heard anybody talk about yet, but I'm going to say Boston is going to sign them. They're about $15 million under the cap still. They are a team in the East, and they're ready to win now. They have, from what I can tell, they really have no other major player, like rostered players on their team right now. To, Michael Ryder? To resign. I think that's the biggest that's name That's the biggest they one, yeah. Um, and Brad Marchand, I guess, made a name for himself in the playoffs. But, but he's mean, probably an RFA, right? He's an RFA, and he, right. he can't be, he's not going to be commanding huge, huge dollars. So at $15 million under the cap, Tim Thomas signed up for another year. Uh, took a rask for this season. I think they could easily make a play at that if it's something they wanted to do. Plus, who knows what they're going to do with Mark Savard still. Like If they put him on some right. sort of long-term disability, I don't even think that counts against your cap. It doesn't. So they'd be around to almost $20 million below the cap. It's pretty impressive for, for a cup-winning cup team. team yeah. I'm going to pick the Sabres. It's a little bit of a homer pick, but both of our guests that were on today unprompted mentioned the Sabres as a dark horse. Uh, it'd probably be easy to say the Rangers or the Maple Leafs. I just don't see him going there. I don't think he's wired that way, especially Toronto. Um, I, th I think he's more likely to go to the Rangers than the Maple Leafs. I don't think he's going to Toronto. I don't think he wants to deal with that pressure. So I'm going to say good old Terry Pagula gives him a call around 115 and works his magic that he worked with Robin Regeer and gets Brad Richards the number 19 he covets. <laughs> Yeah, I mentioned on the uh, other podcast, uh, spoiler alert, that I my bold prediction was that he wouldn't get signed. I, I would love to see it though. I, I don't. I wouldn't be shocked if he does. It's not like I'm hoping against it or anything, but I, I I wouldn't be shocked at all. And it's just fun to be involved, like we said on the other one. Um, the second player we have listed is Steve Stamkos, who, if anyone will receive, send him an offer sheet, and I put he will not receive one. Um, I have a team listed, too, if you'd rather me No, that's fine. If that, no, if that's your... your okay, I'm going to say he will not receive one. I know we mentioned earlier on, on a past podcast, we kind of brought up the idea of collusion about how owners kind of 
have an unspoken rule where they won't right. touch each other. And Wyshynski mentioned that as well today. Did he? Yeah. I, I, I think it, there is something there that exists. It's not right, but it's there. So I don't think he'll receive an offer sheet. I'm going to throw – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a stab in the dark here, and I'm going to say the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, oh, that's th- interesting. They're bringing a somewhat bland team with them from Atlanta. And I think there's going to be a little bit of pressure on the ownership to do something to kind of welcome the team back. So what better, what more slick of a way to do it than to offer him an offer sheet that you know is going to be matched? They are currently $35 million, nope, sorry, $28 million under the cap. Plenty of money there. Plenty of money there. They. I think they could be an interesting player on January 1st. They sold the building out already. Um, Which is so impressive. Really this is impressive. not a team that you'd really want to pay to see. Right. It's unfortunate, but I mean, I mean like Dustin Bufflin might be the biggest name there. Exactly. So they're bringing a somewhat bland team. I think they're going to try to make a splash. I don't think they're going to be a player in Richards, although they might try to be. Uh, so, like I said, what, way, what better way to do something but not than offer – an offer sheet you know is going to be matched. And even if they do offer it and um, Tampa it Bay gets nasty with them, wh- what player are they worried about having an offer sheet come back for? Come back at? Or do they maybe have a high-priced RFA that I'm missing? This year. No, so it's perfect. Maybe Vander Kane next year, Blake Wheeler, but he's been kind of a bust. Yeah, I, it's, it's a weird team. Zach Bogosian, I don't know. I mean, it's a weird team. Like you said, it, they're already selling out, and they really don't have a great product on the ice. I didn't even consider them, honestly, but that's not a bad call. Um, the team I did write down was the Rangers, just because. I, I mean, I don't know how their GM does things or anything. It's not a statement about that, but they don't mind throwing money around. I, although, they, have they bought out Drury? I thought they said they were going to. I think it's been going back and forth, but I think ultimately he's going to be going on the long-term dis- disabled list. Uh, the Sabres' biggest signee this offseason. Right. Who well, will they spend the most money on? I am going to say, I mean, I've, yours would probably be Brad Richards, but right. I'm going to say Christian Erhoff. I don't think they get Richards. I know they said they were still interested in a defenseman. They have. Um, That's a good choice. Brad, uh, Erhoff was offered a deal by Vancouver. He was offered, a, apparently, sources say that he was offered the same deal BXL was, which is a five-year $23 million uh, deal with a no-movement clause. So that is pricey. I mean, the Sabres are going to probably have to offer him $5 million a year and a no-movement clause. Oh, we'd have a nice defense, though. Yeah. They'd have him, Regeer, Myers. I mean, he, he might be your number three, four. I mean, that's, that's not bad Top at all. Top two-pair defenseman. Right. You know, so when Myers and Regeer aren't on the ice, he is. Yep. You have so, one of the three of them on the ice at all times. So I was, I was back and forth with you. That, like, the defensive... The middle-tier defensive class, if you want to consider him, like the second tier of D, is probably one of the deeper. And it's it's younger than the older in, top tier, like the guys, like right. Jov- the bigger names, like Jovanowski. But it's also considerably better than like the forwards, especially the centers are. But I was thinking if, I mean, that's my, my bonus pick. But if not, I mean, there is James Wisniewski's out there. There's another name, a younger defenseman from Montreal. And I saw another one, and I can't remember off the top Leon of my head. Lott. Ian White, oh. maybe, another younger guy, stay at home. I mean, nothing flashy, but Airhoff would be a bit of a flashy move. Um, I could have probably split my, split my eggs up here, but I'm going to put them all in one basket and say that 
Richards is the guy they spend the most money on. What do you think they sign him for? I say they sign him for nine years at $8.75 million average, maybe a little bit more total money and a no-move clause. And that's it's going to be front-loaded probably, right? Yeah, like I think there'd be a little bit more money at the front, but I think they'll try to average it out at about $8.75 million. That would be an aggressive, aggressive <laughs> offer sheet. But, uh, I mean, that's it's what it's going to take. He's, he picked a great year to be a free I mean, I think yeah. he picked it, but to be a free because agent, that's he's, it. Thought, he's it. He's it. <clears throat> the last category we had down here for the bonus questions here was, uh, what team does Yarmir Yager end up playing for? And the main rumors circulating about him have been Detroit and Pittsburgh, and I'm not going to go against that. I'm going to say Detroit. Uh, he can play on a line with his countrymate and Pavel Datsuk. And uh, who knows? He might be able to bang in 20, 30 goals there with, with Datsuk at the center. I'm going to say Pittsburgh. Basically, I had written down that I was going to pick whatever team you didn't <laughs> uh, between Detroit and Pittsburgh. Right. I think it's a two-team race. Could play with Malkin there, I guess. Yeah, it's a two-team race. I think it's going to be one or the other. And uh, I think he will he'll go to Pittsburgh since you're saying Detroit. And, uh, yeah, I, and I could see it realistically happening. I, and I know... Is there any chance he goes anywhere else? I mean, no. th- this is where all the rumors have been. No. No, I think that's it. I, I heard there was one other unnamed team. Uh, but no, I I think that's it. Is he a winger? He's a winger. Okay, I thought so, but yeah, he'd have to go to a team that that's probably pretty deep on offense. You don't want to have to rely on him as a guy, but at the same time, I, I shouldn't say deep, but maybe just a team with a center that can take advantage of him. He might not have the legs he used to, but uh, if he wants to come back, he must want to compete because there's. I mean, what is someone going to give him? Three million. Four I was going to say three or four million dollars. Yeah, so they're not going to th- yeah. throw the bank at him or anything. All right, so that does it with the bonus pick four. Uh, again, got to thank our guests for the week. We had Michael Lombardi and Nate Dunlevy on episode number twenty-seven. On episode twenty-eight, we had Puck Daddy, Puck Daddy, Greg Wyshynski. We had Jonah Carey and we had Sarah Kwok on. Uh, thanks to all of them. Another thing, don't forget to check out our blogs on Friday thesportscaster.blogspot.com and make sure you join us next week as we will have AJ Delirio on and I'm working on some other things as well but AJ Delirio is the one thing I can confirm right now and that's going to be a spot we've been working on for a while and I think we're both really interested in hearing from the main man behind Deadspin Yeah. so if you have any questions for AJ don't be afraid to uh, send them out to thesportscasters at gmail.com Don Q the hip All right.